And now please remain standing as we come to our second scripture reading and our sermon text as we pick up again going through the letter to the Hebrews. We come now to Hebrews 12 at the very end. We'll, our focus will be the last part, 25 through 29, but we'll get a running start by looking by beginning in 1218. This is found on page 1197. This is God's word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our great God, these are awesome words that we have just heard, and they remind us that you are an awesome God. And we pray that you give us the faith to see these glorious things for the awesome things that they are, that we would not just hear these things as concepts, but that we would truly be moved in our hearts. And that, Lord, you would give us an anticipation of that glory and the awesomeness of your presence, which will be manifested on the last day. And that, Lord, as we receive these things by faith and as we tremble, that we would also rejoice at the glory and the gift of what you've given through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this week, I hardly need remind you of how we live in a volatile and unpredictable world. Probably all of you have seen how the nation of Japan was stru suddenly struck by another major earthquake. And just try to imagine what that's like, going about your business on a New Year's Day, typical afternoon. And then the next minute, without any warning, total upheaval, destruction, and panic. 
Or another example, I was just reading in a book about back in 2004, the day after Christmas, a grandfather and his granddaughter, they're playing peacefully on the beach at this wonderful resort area in Sri Lanka. Special treat. And then suddenly, without warning, this huge tsunami sweeps both of them, sweeps both of them away. And of course, this is, these are natural disasters I'm talking about, these unpredictable, massive events in, in the forces of nature. But there are other kinds of volatility in this world, too. Um, sudden car accident. Somebody suddenly assaulting you without warning. Or war that suddenly breaks out. Or abuse. Or life-threatening diseases. One day you're healthy, the next day you are mortally sick. Medical things that can happen without warning. These are all examples of the volatility of this world. And they are extreme examples, life-threatening examples, but... As awesome as they are, they do not compare with the awesome event that this passage describes today, which is the end of the world. This is what we're going to look at first, especially in verses 25 and 26, this, this way in which the end of the world is described as this great shaking, this great earth-shattering cataclysm. And as we're reflecting on the awesomeness of this, I want us to ask ourselves this question, why is the author of Hebrews reminding us of this? Why is he telling us this? Is it because, um, you know, just as we're thinking about all the terrors, you know, that live in, that we live with in this world, and we're thinking about this great terror that is about to come, is it because he wants us to live in fear? No. No, instead he's wanting us to reckon with the awesomeness of these things and the terror of these things, so that then we can realize the glory of what we have which is an unshakable kingdom that nothing will ever destroy. And that's our second point. What he's given to us in Jesus Christ, this unshakable kingdom. We're going to reflect on that. And then we'll conclude by asking, okay, given that we are possessors of this unshakable kingdom, how, is that, how, do, how should we live in light of that? Well, remember the big idea in the letter to the Hebrews going all the way back. We've been in it for a while. The big idea of the book of Hebrews is that God has done something wonderful and climactic through His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember how the very first verse began? There were all these things God did in former days to reveal Himself, but in these last days, these climactic days, He has spoken to us through His Son, and He's revealed something truly glorious for us through His Son. He has shown us the glory of his salvation through the final sacrifice, which has inaugurated the final and ultimate covenant and has brought us to the final and ultimate destination, which is Zion. And that last part is what we heard about last time, our arrival at Zion. Excuse me, the fact that we have actually arrived at Zion. Indeed, that's where we are right this moment. Seated here together in, in a Covenant Presbyterian Church, we are actually at Mount Zion having the Lord speak to us. And now he says, given that you've arrived at Mount Zion, verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Okay, so in the past he spoke through those prophets, 
his servants, the prophets, great men, some of them like Moses, you know, truly awesome in what they were given to give to the people of God. A very unique access into, to God's presence, right? And yet, the big, big thing he's saying is, but now you have something even greater. God has now spoken to you through his very son, Jesus Christ, who is of infinitely higher dignity and worth even than Moses. And so he's saying, the one who is speaking that you're not supposed to refuse, it's the son, Jesus, who is now speaking to us. And as we think about Jesus speaking to us, what is he saying? What's the big idea? I think we all know. It's, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. We need to acknowledge him and honor him as the Lord. And to get us to see how this wonderful, gracious invitation of Jesus is also an incredibly urgent thing, he wants us to remember the disaster that looms. He wants us to remember what happens if we refuse him who is graciously speaking to us and offering us his salvation today. Now, what happened back in the Old Covenant when God spoke to his people and called them to give full allegiance to him? Well, when Moses gave the law, remember, God came down on Mount Sinai, and it says, Exodus 19:18, it says that when God came down on the mountain, the whole mountain shook violently because of God's awesome presence. And just think about that for a second, an earthquake as a manifestation of God's presence, an earthquake. Some of you perhaps have lived through powerful earthquakes. Growing up in California back in 1989, when I was a nine-year-old boy watching the World Series, I also experienced a very powerful earthquake. I was sitting there with my friend watching the World Series. Very next moment, TV goes fuzzy. We're like, what happened to the World Series? And then all of a sudden, the whole house starts shaking violently. And my friend and I, of course, did exactly what we weren't trained to do in school, which is we ran outside. <laughs> and we, in my case, I hugged the apple tree, and my friend had nothing to hold on to. And I, one of my vivid memories of that day is seeing my friend being shaken from his feet, falling to the ground because of the power of the quake, and, and thankfully we were far enough from the epicenter that our house was not damaged. But the memory of that power stays very strong with me to this day, that what happens in an earthquake? Terror. There is nowhere to rest your feet that is stable. The things that you thought, oh, you know, the house is sitting here firm on its foundation, all of a sudden it's not, and there's no place to hide. It's an experience of God's awesome power, and it's also an experience of our powerlessness. And so Israel, they experienced that at Sinai when God shook the earth with his voice, but now here's the big idea, a still greater shaking is yet to come. He brings up that old time back in Exodus to remind them of, hey, that was pretty powerful, but guess what? Something even greater is coming. At that time, verse 26, God's voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. And the reference is to Haggai, which we heard earlier, about 400 to 500 years before Jesus. 
Haggai, the prophet, spoke, that there, and he said there would be this final quake, which would not just quake the, the earth, but the heavens. We all know what an earthquake is. Well, there's also such a thing as a heavenquake. And what's this all about? It's about God not just unraveling the creation down below, but unraveling the entire order of creation, including the heavenly realms, everything that is not permanent will be destroyed in the final judgment. There will be no solid ground when Jesus comes back that is old creation ground. Everything that we thought would be solid will become sinking sand. And it's just hard for us to imagine this, but this is not just talking about the physical earth, you know, like a physical earthquake. We're talking about everything that we consider to be strong and persevering and enduring. We're talking about families, governments, careers, economies, everything. Everything will be shaken to the ground. And it's so hard for us to imagine what this will be like because we've heard of calamities, but not on this scale. So I'm going to try, try to, you know, stimulate your imagination here. Um, imagine all of your bank accounts, every single thing in it, immediately zzz, down to zero. Down to zero. Imagine everything that you own just suddenly gone like a thunderclap. Pow. Imagine everything that you'd been working towards, everything, you know, all the long-term projects or, or just long-term relational things that you've been working towards, like say you're engaged and you're looking forward to getting married or you've got this big, big heavy-duty project you've been working on for years for your work. Imagine all of that just being completely called off. Zip, gone. Imagine all of the wars and power struggles between nations, these epic things that are going on, multiple things in our time, right? Imagine all of those intense political dramas and, and everything that's going on just suddenly washed away. Why? Because the governments that were warring against each other have themselves washed away. And then there is the physical realm. Second Peter 3, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. There's nothing like this day. The final quake, the author of Hebrews wants us to remind, remind us, it's, it's always been there, all the way back in the book of Haggai and even before, this final day of judgment is coming when God will shake all that is shakable. And he's reminding us of this. Remember the big flow of this text. He's reminding us of this because it has a lot to do with your present response to Jesus Christ. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Why? Yet once more I will shake the heavens and the earth. If God threatened to judge those who refused to listen to the first great word, the old covenant, how much more will he judge those who refuse the still greater offer of grace that is given in his son Jesus? And so, this last day, will be an unspeakably dreadful day for those whose hope is in this life because all of that is going to become melted, melted down, sinking sand, un, untenable ground. Now, he's telling us this to warn us, saying you want to be on the right side on that day, and he's telling us this 
to remind us of how beautiful a thing God has given us in Jesus. This is the beautiful thing that God has in store for us, His people. And you can start to see this when you understand everything I just said in the first point. This is our second point, the beautiful gift. Verse 27 says that God will once more shake the heavens and the earth so that the shakable things will be removed, but the purpose is not primarily destruction. Actually, no. It's in order that the things, verse 27, that cannot be shaken will remain. So the illustration I was thinking of was, imagine you've got a, a gem prospector who's working in this, this river where there's a sandy bottom and the, there's gems in there. What is he doing? He, he scoops up with a sieve the sand. And then what does he do? He shakes the sand, and what happens? All the sand falls through the sieve, but what remains? Those gems. And it doesn't matter how much you're going to shake it, you'll still have those gems right there. They're, they're going to remain. So God is going to remove all that is impermanent, everything on earth, including seemingly, you know, permanent things like governments. Um, he's going to remove everything on earth. He's going to remove everything in the heavenly realm that's impermanent. Even we think now of Satan and all his hosts being removed forever from the heavenly realms. They're definitely not there permanently. He's going to get rid of them. But what are the unshakable gems? What are the things that, what is he, when he says this kingdom that may not be shaken is what he wants only to be remaining, what is this unshakable kingdom? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's exactly what he's been talking about the entire letter to the Hebrews. Think about all the things he's been talking about, all the things that Jesus produced through his saving work. What has he created through his death and his resurrection? Ultimate things that will not pass away, that will not pass through the sieve, that will not be shakable, that will not topple when the great quaking of heaven and earth happens. So, you know, the first covenant at Sinai, that was shadowy. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? There was an earthquake. And what happened? The earthquake was simultaneous to the curtain being torn in two, a sign that the old covenant had passed away. The old covenant has passed away as an order on which, under which people live. There, there is no more old covenant people of God. That's, that's gone. It's an impermanent thing. What's left? A new and permanent covenant that we will now be in covenant with God with under this new covenant forever. It will never be, we'll never have like new terms of the relationship between us and God. No, we have a permanent covenant. It's, it's an unshakable thing. And of course, lots of other things too, right? Um, the, there have been many kings in the history of the world, many presidents of great nations. All of them eventually have died. All of them eventually have gone away. Don't rule anymore. There is a king. Jesus Christ, who has sat on the throne, and he will be the king of creation forever. His throne is permanent. It will never, never, ever, ever go away. And of course, we could list all kinds of other unshakable things, right? The temple in heaven will never pass away. It will always be the place where we worship God forever and ever. So now, if you were to take all these unshakable things and wrap them all together, you know what we call that? The kingdom of God. 
It's the kingdom of God that Jesus came to proclaim. It's a new creation kingdom that will never pass away. It currently exists. In fact, remember Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 says he became the first man to participate in this new flesh and body that we're all going to receive too one day, this new creation body that will never pass away. It exists already, this unshakable kingdom, and Jesus is the preeminent picture of it. Now, this great final shaking, it's going to be this sieve, it's going to make all that's impermanent, all that's worthless and ruined, pass away the entire old creation, so that what's left will be God's glorious new world. And if you understand everything I've said, and you understand that that new kingdom is yours, then you can get the awesomeness of what he says, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Think about that. There's going to be this great shaking of heaven and earth. What do we most want? What do we most need? A refuge. What has God given to us? He's given to us the very thing that will not pass away in that great cataclysm, that great heaven and earthquake that is to mark the final age. No, if you right now are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a son of God or a child of God, a daughter of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, guess what, guess what that means? Right there on the title deed to the new creation, top of it, Jesus Christ, your names are written on that title deed. You now are an heir with Jesus of the new creation, this glorious world that Jesus has inaugurated, not just for himself, but for you and for me. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As we contemplate this, these are, these are awesome things. These are like, I mean, there's, is, there, is there anything in the future more awesome, more like high point, epic in scope than this great shaking of heaven and earth? There is nothing. The great judgment of the world is the great last event on the calendar of history. How are we to respond? Well, in the beginning, I talked about, you know, these disasters like the tsunamis that can come without warning. And, and it's a reminder, right, that no matter how stable our lives may seem to be, part of what it means to live in this world is that we always have this background noise in the back of our mind. And for some of us, it's, it's stronger than others, this sense that at any given moment, at any given day, total disaster could come. And for people for whom this is really strong, we even have a name for this, agoraphobia. You know, the, 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 the struggle to even go out into public because of fear of what might happen the sense of impending doom and disaster. And now there are two ways to live in light of this, this reality, the fact that the world really could come unraveled, both in a kind of the, you know, you talk about aftershocks, there's also, you know, anticipatory shocks of the, of the quake here, where the tsunami and the earthquake and the war and the e economic collapse, those are anticipations of the final shaking that is to come. If we're living in a world like that, where those kinds of things can happen all the time and that on the horizon is this huge quake, there are two ways we can live. First way is to live in a state of constant apprehension and fear. And I'm going to surprise you and say that actually is the right way to live in certain cases. It's actually right to feel 
terror and fear in certain cases. Because remember how this all began. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Okay, who's speaking? Jesus. Jesus is speaking. What's he saying? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you refuse him who is speaking, it is right to feel terror. Because if you do not accept the Savior of the world, then there is no Savior when that disaster comes. I remember after the tsunami that struck Japan in 2011, I remember reading this article. Um, it was about this engineer, and he, had, he was a Japanese engineer, and he had responded to the tsunami striking by creating this metal, metal spherical pod um, incredibly strong. He had engineered it to be very, very strong. It was something you could actually keep like in a closet of your house. Um, and it was big enough where you could climb into the pod at a moment's notice, close the hatch, and even if a tsunami blasted your house down, you'd be able to float in safety and make it through the disaster. What's that accessing? It's accessing of like, what if it happens again? I got to be ready. Brothers and sisters, everyone here, I want you to understand nothing you can manufacture will get you through the great quake. Nothing you can make will prepare you for the great quake. There's nothing you can manufacture, whether it's a stunning reputation for good deeds or perfect attendance at church or amazing generosity, or wow, look at this amazing invention I did, or look at this incredibly fruitful career, wow, look at how perfect my family is, or whatever we want to boast in. None of those are suitable pods to make it through the great quake. Hide yourself in Jesus Christ. Do not refuse him who is speaking, who is offering to you. Come unto me. Take refuge in me. Do not refuse him. He's speaking even now. Listen to what he's saying to you. He's saying, find your refuge in me. I'm the only way through the calamity. Don't put your trust in money. Don't put your trust in your own strength. Don't put your trust in your own righteousness. It really is as simple as this. Go to Jesus. Ask him to be your refuge. But it was also as hard as that. Because to go to Jesus, you have to go to him as your only refuge. You have to renounce all the other refuges. You have to say, I'm not going to boast anymore in my own righteousness. I'm not going to boast anymore in how important my job is or whatever. You have to renounce all of that and find your refuge in him. If you do not listen to Jesus, you are right to be afraid because there will be no other refuge on that great day. But if you do listen to Jesus, then fear is not the right way to live. How are we to live? Verses 28 and 29. With gratitude and with worship. First, with gratitude. He says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Again, let's imagine, let's picture the tsunami. There you are, standing in front of your house. The tsunami waves are coming. And you're like, there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. What are we going to do? We're done. And all of a sudden, 
a ladder dangles down right in front of your, you and your family. It's your friend in his helicopter. And he's like, climb aboard, we're getting out of here. And you're like, I can't believe this. So talk about perfect timing, right? That kind of amazing deliverance from what would have been certain doom. Do you realize that Jesus has done so much more than that for you and for me? Imagine that that's what happened, right? And you get on the helicopter and you get to safety and the tsunami sweeps through, destroys everything. You got to go back to your destroyed house. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you get so much more than living through a disaster, but it's now devastation. You get a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You get what Jesus himself received in his resurrection from the dead. You get to enter into the new creation of everlasting joys where all the things that you most enjoyed in this life that were the clean, good joys of this life, where you realize, wow, those were just faint echoes of this new creation that Jesus has produced for me that I get to enjoy forever. Let us be grateful. Have you thanked the Lord Jesus today? For saving you? When you woke up this morning, did you thank him? Do you have a lifestyle of thanking Jesus when you're down and you're discouraged and you're feeling blah? You say, I'm just going to start thanking Jesus. Start thinking of things I'm thankful for. The opposite of thankfulness is entitlement. Entitlement says, I deserve this. I had this coming to me. The Lord forgave me. After all, that's his business to forgive. Wish you'd get going on the other stuff I feel like is coming to me. Perish the thought. No. When we think of all that God's given us and all he's delivered us from, let us thank him. Let us thank him. And let us worship him with reverence and with awe. With reverence and with awe. This is really the answer, I think, to the fear and fretfulness about a life, you know, fraught with all these disasters. Well, look, if you fill your vision with the glory of God and of how awesome he is, if you tremble with awe and really reverence and awe, they're, they're basically synonyms. They're saying, wow, God is powerful. He's a consuming fire. And yet I'm on his side. And look what he saved me from. And we, we tremble as we, we look at what was about to have overtaken us. And we're thinking to ourselves, whoa, God is awesome, and he's also my God. We rejoice with trembling. And we say, wow, God is not a tame lion, like C.S. Lewis says so well. He's great. He's powerful. And so when we come before him in worship, we come trembling. And that's part of why we worship the way we do here. We are rejoicing with trembling. We've, we want everything that we do here to be done joyfully, but also with reverence and with awe with this sense of the God whom we serve is so incredible, so powerful, so holy, and I am not, and yet he saved me. With reverence and awe. And the last thing I want to say is this, as we focus on the reverence, with reverence and awe in the Lord's majesty, as we think of all he's delivered us from, as we think that nothing in this world could ever ever take away what he has given to us. We don't need to be, live in fear of those calamities because we have an unshakable kingdom. Then the last thing I want to say is this. Do not live paralyzed with fear. 
Tremble with joy. Tremble with joy that this God who hates sin so much, this God who consumes sin the moment it enters his presence, this God was the one who was willing that his son would take the tsunami. His son would take the quake of God's wrath for us. That's how committed he is to you. And do you know what the result of that great work of salvation is? Is that now in your heart, inside of you, at the very core of who you are is Christ, the hope of glory. So that when you are shaken, the true you is still there. The you that is united to Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you, let the grandeur of the gospel sweep over you again. Be, be, return to your first love. Cast away all the jadedness, all the laziness, all the bitterness, all the exhaustion. Be swept away again with the awesomeness of the love of God for you. And as you're basking in the Father's love, worship Him. Let the greatness and the perfection of His deliverance so fill your vision that all the, the bitterness and the trauma and the peril of this life recedes into the background. For you now stand on Christ, on Christ the solid rock you stand, you stand. All the ground is sinking sand, but you are secure in him. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to respond with gratitude and with worship. We are thankful that though the great shaking of heaven and earth is coming, that we are on solid ground and it is not of our own making. It is a gift from you. We want to be on that solid ground and we want to trust you and not in ourselves. We, we do once again put ourselves and our whole lives into your hands. If we make it through the great shaking and we know that we will, it will be by your grace. And so, Lord, deliver us also from fear. Help us to know that as dangerous as this world is, it can't take anything from us that's truly permanent and truly good, that lasting kingdom that is ours. Thank you. We pray that you would help us to now live in the joy of this and to live in worship. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will the elders please join me up front for the Lord's Supper?